The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. Matthew chapter 6, verse number 33 for our scripture reading this morning. Matthew chapter 6, verse number 33. We're currently going through a mini-series entitled Stewarding Life. Life is God's gift to us, and what we do with it is our gift to Him. In Matthew chapter 6, verse number 33 is where we'll be out this morning. Uh, you should have received on your way in a service program guide. Inside there's an outline that you can use to follow along through the message this morning. Also, if you're visiting with us here today, inside there, there's also a connection card that you can fill out. You'll have a chance to drop that in the offering plate uh, later during the service as well. Matthew chapter 6, verse number 33. Stand with me, if you would, as we read God's Word together this morning. Matthew chapter number 6, verse number 33. The Bible says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added Unto you. This morning, pastors are going to bring a message simply entitled, Stewarding Money. And you may be seated here this morning. Thank you so much for coming out and being a part of our uh, series, Stewarding Life. We're looking forward to just moving along through uh, some Bible passages as we talk a little bit about what it means uh, to see our world from heaven's perspective. Uh, last year, I had the opportunity of going with our family to Gatlinburg, Tennessee. How many of you are familiar with Gatlinburg? Kind of a little ways from here. And uh, there's a little area there called Pigeon Forge. And uh, it is kind of a family-friendly sort of uh, touristy type of destination. Uh, it was really strange for me because, of course, coming from California, we're kind of real progressive and so secular. And uh, down there in the Bible Belt and that part of the world, I mean, it is just, it's, um, it's a totally different world. I mean, they have Bible verses up on front of businesses. You know, we went into one, uh, one venue. We went to this uh, kind of rodeo type thing. And uh, literally, like throughout the whole rodeo, they had these singers singing and they were singing hymns and Amazing Grace and different things. It was like, a, it was just a, it was like a, being in a different world. I thought, man, I didn't even know stuff like this existed. And so all the events and all the attractions were very family friendly. And so we were able to take our kids and do some things that maybe we normally wouldn't be able to do in other parts of the country. And so we decided one day that we were going to go and take our kids to, to go see an illusionist, you know. And so we went into this big theater and there was this magician. He didn't want to be called a magician. He wanted to be called illusionist right from the very get-go. He said, everything I'm about to do has nothing to do with magic. It has nothing to do with sorcery. It has nothing to do with the dark arts. It's just illusions. And he says, I believe that the only power in the world is the power of Jesus Christ. And he literally gave the gospel and everything. I was like, man, this is crazy. And there's a bunch of people sitting around and they're, you know, it was just unbelievable. In fact, afterwards, he gave an invitation. If anybody would like to know more about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, come up and see me and one of my assistants. We're like, this, where are we at? You know, is this America? You know, and so we were there, and we were in this uh, much, much larger than this room. It had balcony and everything, and so we were there, and we were watching these illusions, and it was really neat stuff. I mean, all the things that you would uh, kind of see, and I grew up really liking to watch these different illusions and these, what these things people would do, and at, at one point, he said, I'm going to need a volunteer and so he looked out across the crowd, and he uh, pointed to my son, Anderson. And he said, young man, I want you to come on up here. You're going to help me. And, and then Anderson, he's eight years old. He kind of come marching up there in front of everybody. He had him do different things. And I can't remember all uh, that he had him do, but he was like part of the illusion and different things. And we had a great time with that. And uh, I remember when it was all done, I was thinking to myself, how in the world, you know, do, do these guys do these things? Have you ever watched this on TV? Or maybe you've gone to one of these things, and you're watching, and you're just scratching your head thinking, 
thinking, how in the world do these guys do these illusions? And so I'm, a, I'm curious by nature. And so when I got home, I, I jumped on uh, YouTube and I'm like, I'm going to figure out how these guys do these tricks. And I, I Googled there, how do these guys do these illusions? And if you jump onto YouTube, literally there's this guy with this mask. And I don't know if any of you guys have seen this person before, but he's got this mask and basically he, he reveals how all these magicians and illusionists do their illusions. And he basically pulls back the curtain and, and literally all, anything you've ever seen on television or at one of these shows or anything like that, he just literally, he shows you how to do it. And the, I guess the reason he wears a mask is he claims that if other magicians knew who he would, who he was, he would die. They would kill him. They would murder him, assassinate him. I guess it's a really, you know, these are secrets you're not supposed to let out. And so he basically came along and he dispelled the illusions that were there. And, and I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. I see how he did this and this and that. As we go to the scriptures, we find that there's an illusion that many modern Americans have bitten into. It's an illusion that we fully believe with our heart, with our mind, and our soul. And and to some degree today, I want to stand up, and as we move through some passages in scripture, I want to kind of pull back the curtain on this American illusion that so exists in the hearts and the minds and the souls of so many individuals today. And I, I hope when we're done, you'll kind of walk out saying, oh, I get it. What I thought was true, what I, what I thought was real, what I thought could happen, ah, the, the curtain got pulled back and I'm seeing what's happening here for what it really is. The reason so many people believe that more money will bring them more happiness, more satisfaction, more security is because money and wealth and finances project the illusion that it can provide each and every one of these things. Money, wealth, finances constantly preaching a sermon to you. It is constantly projecting that it can provide you ultimate satisfaction. Wealth is always trying to preach a gospel that says, I and I alone provide security. I and I alone is what provides significant happiness. And yet as you go to the word of God, as you study the teachings of Jesus, you will find that that teaching is nothing more than a well-masqueraded illusion. Money really in reality is nothing more than a decoy at many times and an illusion that keeps us from pursuing and focusing on the very things that matter most. The very things that can provide us satisfaction, money distracts us from pursuing that. The very things that can provide us a deep sense of security and support, money will often distract us. And so as a theme today, kind of as we begin with our study, I want to simply say this. While money can be a great blessing... And if you have money, thank the Lord for it. What a blessing it is to have finances. What a blessing it is to have wealth. What a blessing it is to have money. The Bible doesn't say anything intrinsically wrong about money. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil, but not money intrinsically in and of itself. So while money can be a tremendous blessing, I want to say this, it is no replacement for God. And unfortunately, in 21st century America... Whether we want to realize it or not, money has taken the place of God. 
Where do we look for for our security? Do we look in the creator of the universe to provide us a sense of security? No, for most of us, we anchor our sense of security to the almighty dollar. If we've got enough of it, we feel secure. Can I say this? It is not money's job to provide security for your soul. It is the job of God, almighty God, and your abiding presence with him that is supposed to bring you that sense of security. We look to money to provide us a a sense of satisfaction. If I just have a little more money, a little bit more wealth, a little bit more finances, then I will be satisfied. Can I remind you, it is not money's role to provide you with satisfaction. In fact, the Bible declares that it is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone that can ultimately satisfy the deepest longings of your heart. And so while there is a place for money, while there is a place for finances and wealth, too many Americans look to money to provide them with something that only God can ultimately provide for them. So this morning, we're going to look at three statements about money, and I hope it'll help kind of pull back the curtain on this illusion that money tries to to preach to us, if we can say. So first of all, I want you to see this. More money doesn't produce more security. More money does not produce more security. Maybe if you're young or newer in life, you begin to maybe get this sense. If I just had a little bit more money, I would feel a little bit more secure. If I had a little bit more wealth, I would feel a little bit more safe. If I had a little bit more in the financial realm, then I, I, could, I would just feel safer and more secure. And yet as you go to the Bible, while it may produce, money may produce the hope of security... It doesn't bring true security to the heart. Here's what Proverbs chapter number 23 verse 5 says. Will thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? He, the uh, uh, King Solomon here, he's giving us a piece of wisdom. He's saying, why are you looking for something to, why are you looking to something to provide you with something that cannot produce results. Why? Will thou send thine eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. First Timothy chapter number six, verse 17, the apostle Paul says to young Timothy, I want you to do something. He says, charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded. Okay, so Paul is saying to young Timothy, I need you to give a message to people who have some wealth. I need you to preach something to them if they've got a little bit money. What does he say to them? Trust not in uncertain riches. He said, don't find your confidence. Don't find your safety. Don't find your sense of security in your financial portfolio. He says, but rather in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. I heard about a woman one time who uh, kind of was kind of bragging a little bit. She told her friend, she said, I, I've made my husband a millionaire. Her friend's kind of impressed. She said, well, well, what was he before he was a millionaire? The wife said, well, a, a billionaire, you know. <laughs> okay, that might take a minute. But how many of you said, I guess she spends, yeah, that's exactly where we were going with that. Proverbs chapter number 11, verse number 28, the Bible says, he that trusteth in riches... He that puts his security in riches, he that puts his sense of safety in riches, this is what the proverb says, shall fall. I want to just, I want to pull back the curtain on this illusion because the American dream tries to present a picture of wealth and finances and riches. And while they're a blessing, nobody is saying that they're intrinsically evil or wrong. 
they cannot provide what most Americans are looking to it to provide. Many people are trying to acquire wealth not to simply provide for their families, not to simply take care of needs. They're acquiring wealth to give them something more, to give them something deeper. And sometimes what we're looking for is that sense of security. We're looking for that sense of, you know, safety. We're looking here for just that uh, sense of being able to trust in those things. And yet the Bible's pretty clear. It doesn't provide those things. I I do kind of find it ironic if, if you have a maybe a dollar bill or a $20 bill or whatever the case may be. If you look at it, I find it ironic that so many people put their trust and their confidence and their sense of security in money. And then it literally, if you look at the money, it literally says, in God we trust. <laughs> the irony of it just is, is kind of strange to me. I think it's, it's there to kind of remind us of something. I, I think the reason that's put there is to... Help us understand that at the end of the day, money can't ultimately be that which we trust in. It can't ultimately be that which provides security. And and so if the reason you chase after money is to give you that sense of, I can breathe, I'm I'm okay, I'm just going to tell you, it's going to fail you. If that is why you pursue money, there's going to come a moment and it's going to let you down. Why? Because riches surely make themselves wings. They fly away and they are gone. Money may project the illusion of security, but it will never actually provide intrinsic security. So you might be here and you're like, no, I've got some money and it's making me feel secure and it's making me feel safe. No, you, you, you are finding confidence in illusion, not in a reality. Because the Bible is very clear, you, you can't trust money. Why? It makes itself wings, and it is gone. Money can't provide ultimate security. Only the presence of Jesus Christ provides that promise of security. I want you to notice here the second reason more money doesn't produce this in our lives. Notice this, number two. More money doesn't produce more satisfaction. More money does not produce more satisfaction. The American dream is trying to preach a gospel to 21st century Americans right now. And part of the gospel that it is trying to preach is that if you just get more money, if you can just acquire more wealth, if you can just get more in the way of finances, you will be more satisfied. And yet the reality is wealth is kind of an itch that you can never quite make go away. You think, I'll just, man, if I could just get a thousand more dollars, if I could just get, you know, to this financial milestone, if I could just acquire this much wealth, then I will be, I'll be satisfied. And I just want to declare to you, based on the authority of the word of God, more money, no matter what that point might be, there's no amount of money that can produce ultimate satisfaction in your heart and in your life. And the Bible is very clear when it speaks to this. There are people who have convinced themselves that if they just had a little more money, if they just had a little more wealth, if they just had a little bit more in the way of material possessions, that they wouldn't be discontent anymore. If I just had more things, if I just had more money, if I just had more wealth, then this this sense of dissatisfaction, this sense of discontentment would begin to fade into the distance. And I just want to declare to you, money is not an antidote to discontentment. No amount of wealth or riches can cure you of dissatisfaction. Why? Because that's that's not the role of money. That isn't what money produces. 
That isn't what money is offering here to us. Here's what Ecclesiastes chapter number 5 verse 10 says in the scriptures. This was penned by the richest man who ever lived, King Solomon. I think if anybody could speak wisdom into what it feels like, what the experience is like for having wealth or having finances, then probably King Solomon could. This is what he had to say. He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver. What? Nor he that loveth abundance will be satisfied with abundance, with increase. Then he goes on to say this. This all is vanity. He's like, it's pointless. Vanity, pointless. To pursue money because you believe it'll fill a void in your heart. It'll give you a sense of satisfaction. Like, I'm satisfied now. Like, I'm content now. Like, I, I'm a, it's, this is, it's, got, it's done. The money is a blessing. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. And it has a lot of good functions in the world in which we live. But fulfilling your sense and need for satisfaction is not one of the things that money has the ability to accomplish. It can't do it. And so there are some of us who are trying to live the American dream, simply living for more money, because deep down, it's not just providing for our family, it's not just kind of trying to meet needs, it's not trying to provide money so we've got to be able to give away and be benevolent toward others. We're trying to acquire it because we, we really believe deep down the illusion that money at some point will fulfill a discontentment that I have in my heart and my soul. And I just need to declare to you, based on the authority of the Word of God, money does not have that potential. So you will live and you will live and you will live and you will live always seeking after that next dollar, after that next financial milestone and it will all along, like the dangling carrot in front of you, seek to preach to you a gospel that ultimately it will satisfy you if you just get a little bit more. But then it never will. And that's the catch-22 with finances. It's a blessing. It, it has a role. What's its role? Its, it's role is to provide. It's to provide for our children, for our families, to provide for clothing and a house and, and food. It's so that we have access to be able to be benevolent and to be generous and to be able to give away, to be able to support our friends and our, our family. There is well-meaning nature to the role of finances, but fulfilling some deep sense for satisfaction is not something that money can accomplish. Some of you would be familiar with John D. Rockefeller early 20th century, uh, one of the richest men ever lived, just tons and tons of money. Uh, interviewer once went up to him and asked him the question. He said this, how much money is enough? John D. Rockefeller, more money than he could spend in a lifetime. Here's was his response to that reporter. Just one more dollar. Just one more dollar. If I just had a little bit more finances, if I just had a little bit more money, if I just had a little bit more in the way of uh, these things, then I would be satisfied. This is very interesting. Uh, according to Roper Poll for Sherson Lehman Brothers, uh, they're a financial firm, and they did a poll, and they began to go and poll America, and they asked them this question. They simply went to them and asked people, uh, folks who made under 25000 so try to, try to put yourself in this in this kind of poll, for those making under $25,000, they polled them and said, how much money would you need in order just to be moderately satisfied? 
was interesting. They began to take the numbers, did lots of polling, talked to lots of people. And the average number that came up, when they took all the numbers, averaged them together, people making under 25,000 said, I could, be, I could be satisfied, I could live the way I want to live if I was making, and here was the average number when they put it all together, $54,000. They said, if, I, if we could just be, we're making about 25000 if we could just be making $54,000, then we would be satisfied. We'd be content. We wouldn't have to pursue it so much. We could live life the way it was meant to live. And, and that was interesting. And so then uh, the poll for Sherson Lehman Brothers went out, and they began to poll people who made $100,000. And they asked them the same question. They said, okay, how much money do you need to be satisfied? People who average income $100,000 a year. Then they took all the numbers, they mixed them together, and here's what the answer came out to, averaged at $194,000. So these people making $100,000 said, we could be satisfied if we were making $194,000. Now here's what was interesting, every time they did these, they found that whoever they polled, satisfaction levels, or what they perceived as being satisfaction levels, was found at exactly about double of what they were currently making. And most people believe that to be true. I-, I could be satisfied, I could be content if I was making twice what I'm making now. And that is the illusion that the American dream tries to preach to America today. That if I just had twice as much, and honestly, if we were to be transparent, most of us in this room would think, man, if I was making twice what I'm making right now, that'd be pretty good. I could be, pastor, I could be satisfied. Amen. Right? I mean, come on, let's be real. Most of us, we're like, yes, pastor, I'd tap out. Twice what I'm making right now, I'd be content. Oh, I'd, I'd be giving it away. I'd be, bene- oh, all kind of, I'd be good. Why? <laughs> because we're human. I'm not, I'm not trying to hold myself high. I, man, I'd love to make twice what I'm making right now. That'd be awesome. I'm not going to lie. But I'm not also going to believe the, the illusion that somehow that, at that moment, is going to satisfy me. Because here's the reality, it wouldn't. Because that's what the scriptures teach. It doesn't satisfy. That's not the role of wealth and finances and money, is to satisfy. So, more money doesn't produce more security. It produ- produces an illusion of security. But at the end of the day, <laughs> you go back and talk to some people from 2008 and ask them if their portfolio provided them a strong sense of security. It didn't. It doesn't produce satisfaction. It produces an illusion of these things. Satisfaction is found in the person of Jesus Christ and acknowledging his abiding presence in your everyday life. Can I say this? I have met people who have very little in the way of material possessions and yet find full satisfaction in the abiding presence of Jesus. Why? Because ultimately it is Jesus and not money that provides satisfaction. Number three, I want you to see this. More money does not produce more significant happiness. More money does not produce more significant happiness. Now, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dive into, let me just caveat this a little bit sociologically, okay? Because I, you know, I, I do need to just, and, and this isn't scripture, this is just sociolo- sociology, is some books we read. They have found, as they've done studies, that if you're making like $8,000 and you start making like $20,000, you actually do become a little bit happier, at least in the way you feel. 
All right. So I, I'm understanding on, a, on, a, on an experiential level at those numbers, it doesn't make you any happier. But I'll say this, they've, they found pretty substantially that after about $35,000, so if there's a couple and two people making $35,000, literally at that point on, there is no more happiness into the billions. I mean, they've done the studies, they've researched it. So if you're like making $10,000, I'll, I'll give you a little leeway here. But I'm still going to point you to something that's even better than pursuing money, and that's Jesus. All right? But notice, more money doesn't produce more significant happiness. 1 Timothy chapter number 6, verse 9 says this. But they that, notice these words, these are really interesting, will be rich. It doesn't say those who are rich. In fact, man, there are some great folks, they're rich, and God's blessed them, and they, they're experiencing, and they love, and they're able to serve, and give, and be benevolent with it. It says those that will be rich. There's something inside of them that need more money to be secure, and they need more money to feel safe, and they need more money so they feel like they've got the support, and the satisfaction, and the sense of significant happiness. The Bible says they that will be rich, and, and I, I can't say, I don't know which of you in this room struggle with this in your heart, because there's something in you, and you will be rich. Like there's just this discontentment about where you are right now. It says they that will be rich, they fall into temptation and a snare. And I, I need to warn our church family here because this has nothing to do with where you are at financially. There are some very rich people who don't fall into this category and there are very poor people who do. When there's this discontentment with what you have and this intense desire to have more, not simply to provide for family, not simply to put a roof over your head or, or food on the table or, or just to take care of basic ne the needs, but there's just, you're, you're going for it because you need security and you need satisfaction. You need a sense of significance. The Bible says, watch out. Because there's a snare. There's a trap ahead of you. And many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Uh, you know what? Money's a, a wonderful tool, but it has destroyed a lot of people. Because when you look to money to try to fill a, a sense of significant happiness and you start using your money to feed that desire for more happiness and, and more significance and, man, security. I'm just going to tell you, mark it down. The Bible's pretty clear. You're, you're, heading, in a, you're heading in a direction that's unhealthy. It's unsafe. And I just want to say this. I love you. And I'm not saying go out and get rid of all your money. That's, that's not the answer to this sermon. The answer is to let Jesus Christ change your heart. In, in fact, I would hope, as we talked even last week, I hope a year from now you're way more wealthy than you are right now. I don't think you need it to have significance and security and ha satisfaction. But you know what? I, I, I would hope that every one of you would have more money a year from now than you have today. I don't intrinsically have anything against people having more money. It's when there's something in their heart that needs it in order to feel safe and secure and satisfied. That's where those that will be rich fall into temptation. This is, this, is not a, this is not a financial issue, guys. This is a heart issue. And you're treading on dangerous ground if you are not honest with yourself. And there's a lot of people out there, and they're like, no, you don't understand, Pastor. I want more money because I want to be able to... This is a great one. I love it when I get this line. I want to give more to the church. Oh, 
oh, cool, that would be great. <laughs> you know. And you kind of just say, Jesus is taking care of us. What we care about is your heart. This is not a finance issue. This is a faith issue. Don't believe the illusion because some of you are living this illusion and you're masquerading. You are, you are masters of self-deception. You have so convinced your subconscious thinking that this is your real intention and this is your real motive and everybody around you can see right through it. They see what's really going on. Anybody with any amount of spiritual discernment can sense and they could discern, hey, this is what's happening in the heart. The people who love you, the people that are around you, they know you're falling into a snare because of this desire. Not the money, it's not the finances, it's not the wealth, it's your heart's engagement and how it interacts and how it engages with that money that's destroying you. More money does not produce more significant happiness. In 1928, uh, a group of the world's most successful financiers met at the Edgewater Beach Hotel in Chicago. Here's who was present. The president of the largest utility company, uh, the greatest wheat farmer, the president of the New York Stock Exchange, a member of the president's cabinet, the greatest bear in Wall Street, you know, worked on Wall Street there, stocks, bonds, the president of the bank of the international settlements and the head of the world's greatest monopoly collectively. Now, these tycoons controlled more wealth in 1928 than there was in the entire U.S. treasury. These were incredibly wealthy, incredibly rich, incredibly uh, uh, successful individuals. And for years, newspapers and magazines had been printing their stories as successes and urging the youth of America to follow their example. Here's what happened to them 25 years later, if you were to go back and do kind of a study on their lives. The president of the largest independent steel company, Charles Schwab, Schwab, lived on borrowed money the last five years of his life, died broke. The greatest wheat farmer, Arthur Kooten, died abroad with no money. The president of the New York Stock Exchange, Richard Whitney, served a term in Sing Sing prison. The member of the president cabinet, Albert Fall, was pardoned from prison so he could die at home. That greatest bear in Wall Street, Jesse Livermore, he committed suicide. The president of the Bank of International Settlements, Leon Frazier, also committed suicide. The head of the world's greatest monopoly, Ivor Druger, committed suicide. All of these men had learned how to make money, but not one of them had learned how to live. You see, you make a living by what you get, but you make a life by what you give. And so here we see that no, more money does not produce more significant joy. I just, I want to encourage you with this. The Bible is pretty clear. Money has its place. Money has its role. It's not intrinsically evil in and of itself. And if God has blessed you with money, praise God, I'm happy for you. I hope you get more of it. Money is not the issue. Our hearts are the issue. It's how our heart perceives money. It's how our heart engages wealth. 
It's how our heart navigates with the finances around us. That is where the issues begin to rise because we have believed the 21st American uh, dream, this illusion that more money will produce more security and safety and support. That's not the role of money. That's the role of Jesus. And when you look to money to give that support and that security, then what you have done is you have made God your money. It's idolatry. You are looking to money to do something that God is supposed to do. Now, as you look to God, he'll often use money. In his grace, he'll he'll provide financially. But it's a gift of his grace as you look to Christ, the author and the finisher of our faith. Only Jesus provides satisfaction. I'm telling you what, some of the richest people that ever lived don't find satisfaction in their finances. They find satisfaction looking here and looking there, but it just can't be found. Several years ago, I was watching an interview with uh, the comedian Jim Carrey. How many are familiar with Jim Carrey? Kind of a comedian, plays on different movies. Uh, Probably wouldn't recommend personally most of them. But he said this in an interview. He said, I wish everyone had the fame and fortune I have. I was like, way to go, Jim, me too. (laughs) He said, I wish everybody had the money, the fame, the success that I had, and here's what he went on to say. Then they would understand that it just doesn't satisfy. Wow. I've, I've clipped many of these types of articles from celebrities, and the reality is simply this. While money has its place, and money is a, in a gift from God, It has its roles and it has its function. But the moment our human heart looks to money and finances and wealth to provide something that we are supposed to look to our heavenly creator, God, for, we start an idolatrous relationship with our money when we look to it to provide security, support, satisfaction, a sense of significance, a sense of, uh, you know, happiness. All of a sudden, we mix things up. How rich is really rich? According to a survey of people who ought to know, the answer is one to five million dollars in assets. And so there are people, they, they literally say, hey, how, how much money is rich? And, and, and according to the experts in America, whoever those experts are, I haven't tracked this down, but they basically said, if you have between one and five million dollars in America, you're rich, all right? They, they, for whatever word, just like they created, you know, $14,000 as poverty level poor, and these same people said one million, five million, that's, that, that is rich. And so Newberger and Bergman sponsored a survey of people who stand to give or receive inheritances in those range. They, they, they had that much money that Bergman says was rich. And what was interesting is 60% of those individuals who are scientifically in the category of being rich, 60% of them, don't feel rich. Whoa. How many of you say, Pastor, I'd feel rich if I had $5 million? (laughs) Statistically, you wouldn't. See, we're masters of self-deception. Because here's the honest truth. I'm totally convinced. I am totally convinced in my own heart and mind I actually would be satisfied with $5 million. Like, I'm standing here behind this pulpit at Ambassador Baptist Church, and I'm telling you, I actually believe if I had $5 million, I'd be satisfied. But statistics and science says that's wrong. (laughs) Like, I'm 
I'm a master of deceiving myself. (laughs) And I'm sure, if we were to be honest, most of you would agree with me. I don't need to be very many people. There might be, there might be a pious one or two among us who said, if I had five million dollars, I, I would feel rich, you know, and I feel like that was enough. And good for you. <laughs> but here's my point. My point is, at the end of the day, that's not the role of money. The role of money is not to provide significance or satisfaction, to provide happiness, support. The role of money is to be used to serve others and to serve God. This is interesting. Middle class in America, and not in America, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Middle class in the the global community, let's say it that way. Of all, you know, six plus billion people, seven billion people in the world today, in the global community, you find that the median income, anybody want to guess what median income in the global community is? $2.32. Median income in the world. In the world. Median income. Which factors into about $850 a year. That's median income in the world in which you live. Median income, 850 bucks. You, you say, why do you say that? I'll take it up a step further. According to uh, ZipGraph 93722, our zip code right here, um, median income is somewhere around $44,000 median income. According here uh, to these statistics, that means if there are two people in your home and each of you are making $22,000 a piece, you are in the top 2% of the global economy. You are richer than 98% of the global world. 98% if you and and your partner are making $22,000 each. I'm not rich. Can I? We're rich. At some point, we've just got to admit it. And I I realize we have issues, and I I realize some of you have issues, and you have really real issues. And my my goal in this is not to make you feel bad for having money or feeling guilty. That's not really the point of this message at all. Like, oh, good, I went to church, and now I feel awful because, you know, I was able to afford a cheeseburger. That's really not the purpose of it. I, I guess what we're trying to just kind of show is that a lot of our problems are first world problems. Like gas prices. Ah, I can't afford gas anymore. Do you realize that most of the world doesn't have cars and could care less about gas prices? You you say, well, you're just trying to make us feel dumb. I'm not trying to make you feel dumb. I'm just trying to help you get a perspective that's more holistic, that's more accurate into the world you live in. Because we're like in our little American bubble, and we're like spoiled little bratty children sometimes. Sometimes, not all of us. I'm sure you're not. But we just are like, yeah. We, we, our perspective, I mean, the rest of the world looks at us and thinks, man, what? And my point is this. I know some of us are really struggling. Like, there are people in this room, and you are literally struggling just to pay the basic necessities of life. And I, I'm, I'm praying for you. 
I hope God blesses you, and I hope he, I hope he provides for you. I want that for you. I don't want, you, you don't need to take a vow of poverty or something. What you need to do is ask God to just kind of help your heart how, be aligned with his word and get a biblical perspective on finances. You say, what is that biblical perspective? Matthew 6, verse 33. We read it at the, end of the, at the beginning of the service. But seek ye, here's the word, first, the kingdom of God. Seek first his presence. Seek first to acknowledge his abiding reality in your life. Seek first that it is God and God alone that you find your completeness in. Colossians chapter number two tells us, and we are complete in him. Everything we need for life and everything we need for godliness can be found in an abiding presence with Jesus Christ. He is our all in all. It is in God and God alone that we find our satisfaction and our sense of significance and a source of significant happiness. He is the source of those things, not money. Money has its place. Money does its thing. It's not an evil thing in and of itself or a bad thing in and of itself. And if you've got a lot of it, praise God for it. Thank God for it and then use it in a way that'll honor him. There's, we're, not, it's not, we're not talking against rich people here. We're not talking down to poor people. We're just simply saying God has created a function for finances and that function doesn't include providing you security or providing you satisfaction or providing providing you with significant sources of happiness. It, money is powerless to do that. So seek first the kingdom of God because it's in that kingdom that you will find your significance. It's in his kingdom that you'll find a sense of security. It's in his kingdom that you'll find sources of happiness and sources of satisfaction that no amount of money has ever been able to produce in your life. And and we could go from story to story, testimony to testimony of people who again and again and again could stand up and testify to the fact that the reality is it is not money, but rather it is Christ that provides satisfaction and significance, security and happiness. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Notice what it says. And all these, paraphrase, other things will be added unto you. The other things aren't bad. Praise God if you've got a nice vacation. I hope hope all of you are able to take a vacation this year, or at least a staycation. I hope you're able to drive automobiles and have enough money to pay for the gas and put good food on the table for your children. That's that's a wonderful thing. And if you can't, we want to be here to help. We want us to provide however that we can. But in the end, it is Christ and Christ alone that fills the void that your soul so longs for. And it is in Him and Him alone that we can find satisfaction and security and happiness. Not in other things, but in him. Delight thyself in the Lord, and he'll give thee the desires of your heart. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.